dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Something all great leaders have in common is their ability to attract followers. Some do it more from a personal charisma than from a studied approach. But all leaders have to bring people with them towards the vision that they're casting. And so that begs the question, how can we who have to make decisions every day make them in a way that other people will find attractive? Well, reaching back into our Catholic theology, we find this subject matter already treated by St. Thomas Aquinas. And in this fourth part of our series, we explore it today. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this series on St. Thomas Aquinas uh, as applied to leadership. And I love doing it because I love St. Thomas Aquinas. I'm a Catholic priest. I've studied Aquinas for years and years and read so much of his writings. And you just can't help when you're reading this guy to, to say everything that's in here, it, it needs to be given. It needs to be given to us where we need it in our practical lives. Just too much of our Catholic world focuses spirituality. It separates spirituality kind of like in a box. It says that your real life problems, you know, you better go see a counselor for that. And of course, you might need to. That's not putting counselors down. But like that's not the only solution. Because of course, the counselor or the lawyer or, or the, whatever the business consultant, whoever they are that you're going to rely upon, what knowledge do they have that they're drawing from to give you your solutions? I mean, is it a worldly knowledge? Is it a knowledge that's incomplete? Is it a knowledge that cuts you off from God? Or is it a knowledge that flows from God? You've got to remember that in the Bible, the Bible claims that all wisdom is found in the sacred scriptures, right? And that in the word of God, you have the guidance that you need for your life. It's just that we have to be able to interpret that word effectively so that it can be powerful for us. And that's what Catholic tradition does. As a matter of fact, Catholic tradition is looking back at how Christians have received the word of God and lived it out so that we, we, the life of the Christians, from the saints to the teachings of the church, you know, all of that flows as the interpretive lens that helps us to see what the Word of God is saying to us to give us the answers that we need for our practical lives. I mean, really, are, are you going to pass by this opportunity that you have to let God himself instruct you? Right? Of course not. I mean, you'd be totally foolish to say that the creator of the whole world doesn't know how to run my business or what I should do or can't give me guidance to become a better dad or become you know, a better entrepreneur or become a better citizen. Of course not. Well, then where do we go to get the guidance of the creator of the world? We go to the Bible, right? And then how do we know what's in the Bible? We read it in the lens of the tradition that has been given to us, this sacred tradition called our, our Catholic faith. And in all of that tradition, you've got some luminous entries, right? Like I'm thinking of St. Thomas Aquinas, the guy we're studying right here for what he's saying about how to make good choices, how to make good decisions in our businesses and our families, et cetera. And you, I mean, he knows so much about this because he represents in the Catholic Church's intellectual tradition 
The fruit of the church is wisdom about the human person. About, in other words, you and me and what we have to face every day. Not so much in the particulars of the challenges in front of us, because of those, those, of course, change with time and in history and all that. But rather from the point of view of what we bring to the battle every day, who we are on the inside, what is an intelligence, what is freedom, what is the human will, how do we make a choice? And we think that we're the first ones to ever think about this. I mean, you go down the, the, the bookstore lanes at the airports or whatever, and they're full of these books that are all designed for business people or for parents, right? And the situations that they have that are real and that are poignant. I've got to figure out how to expand my business. I have to figure out how to hire the right people. I have to figure out whether or not to, to parent my kids at home. I need to figure out the best way to teach my children how to navigate in the world. Whatever it is, the, the real things that you've got going on. And we're giving these answers, which, which are, well, they're going to be great to the degree that they flow from and flow to the treasury of knowledge, which is the word of God and the wisdom of God. Right? And they're going to be bad insofar as they turn away from that and turn you away from that. Right? So, like, why wouldn't we enter into that fray then by ourselves looking at what the Catholic tradition can teach us and trying to apply it in a way well, that feeds us spiritually at the same time? That's St. Thomas Aquinas. He is really intellectual. He is really abstract, but that doesn't mean that he is not really applicable. We just need to help you to read him so that you can see where that is. Well, right now, for example, we're looking at the first part of the second part of his Summa Theologica, and he talks in this whole section here about how we act. Now, this is so important because everything that we do is an action, okay? When was the last time we stopped and we said, what's the mechanics of everything that we do? I mean, let's think about it abstractly, admittedly, right? Pull back, let's philosophize a little bit, but let's see in what we do, how the human machine functions, right? And he breaks it down. Well, this is great because then if we can look at that, we can have insight into everything that we do. Literally by studying the map that he puts out for us, we can have an insight into every aspect of the human person in action. From parenting, to choosing what we're going to eat, to motivating ourselves to start a new company, to knowing when to retire. It all fits into this framework. That's why Aquinas is so incredibly powerful. He distills all of the wisdom of antiquity up to him, and he puts it in really clear situation so that we can read it, take that like a toolbox, and then apply it to our own life. So what I'm doing with you now is I'm going through, this is the fourth in our series here, on how we make decisions based upon what Aquinas says. And he's got the most wonderful aspect here that I want to go into with you. And he's talking about the power of enjoyment. This is in question 11, the first part of the second part of the Summa, question 11, right? And he says, enjoyment, which is an act of the will. Okay, so right away, it sounds very boring, but it's not. In fact, there are scores of books, maybe some books that you've even bought, that you've even enjoyed and found helpful, that are based in this very teaching, okay? And basically what, what it comes down to is that you as a leader will be attractive to the degree that you can embody and demonstrate the good things that you want everyone to strive for. You need to cast a vision, but not just cast a vision intellectually. You need to cast a vision with passion, with heart, as if you were excited about it. 
And this is, of course, so very powerful because when you can move the hearts of the people who are working with you and get them as excited about it as you can, together you unleash a potential in your teams for practicality that helps you to overcome the drudgery of the task, the grind that's in front of you, the obstacles that are going to come your way. I mean, this is all about motivation. And motivation is not just an exciting thing. If there's a science to it, and Aquinas puts this science into this one little question in little Latin phrases that nobody seems to want to read anymore, and yet it's right there, and it's flowing from the Word of God, and it's giving us this power of understanding how being a Christian leader actually dovetails with being a Christian saint, right? And, and the same God who's asking you to be fully alive under the power of his Holy Spirit has put you into the business context and into your society in order for you to demonstrate in that context and in that situation the same principles of holiness that will drive you to heaven. If you're not becoming a saint in your business, then you're not becoming a saint. Let's just be honest. It, you are in that field for half of the waking hours of your life. You cannot act like what you do at work has nothing to do with who you are. It has a lot to do with who you are. And you need to bring who you are into that workplace. When you do, you enrich the workplace with your values, with your freedom, with a sense of your character. And you also allow yourself to be enriched by the challenges that the workplace provides and stimulates you to, to overcome. And all those things, God is at work. And so let's let him guide us. Let's take a look at what Aquinas says. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. All right, I want to tell you a little story here. It's about a fella who started a company from nothing and he had no business experience, didn't really know what he was doing, but he just threw himself in there and started. And he had a board meeting. And at the board meeting, he went through the report saying, here's everything that I did. Here's everything that I didn't do. Here are all the challenges I faced. And this is the reasons why we might fail one day. Well, during a break after his presentation, one of his, his mentors who was on the board with him pulled him outside and he said, don't ever do that again. And the person said, well, why? What, what was wrong, so wrong with what I was doing? It's just the truth. And he said, listen, People want to join a winning team. They want to follow somebody who thinks that they're going to make it. And all you're doing is convincing us of every reason why we shouldn't have confidence in you. And of course, he's right. And it's a, it's a truth that's played out again and again and again. If you're a general in the army and you've got to convince your troops to go into battle, the last thing you're going to tell them is that they're going to all die and the war is going to be lost, right? You just don't do that. It, 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 well, if you're a visionary leader in your company and you are every single day that you ask people to work for you, then there's a science and an art to embodying the victory that you want your people to achieve. It can be the same at home. I mean, there's nothing worse than a family who is not proud of their own last name. Well, how do you know if you're proud of your own last name? It's going to be because the moms and the dads in the household have demonstrated time and again that they love their life. They love their kids. They love their home by the way they treat it, the way that they take care of their stuff, the way that they celebrate themselves on their own identity. 
right? You can look at this from an individual in every circumstance. Leadership always entails embodying a victory deep down inside and making that manifest so that other people can see it and get excited about it. In a sense, when you're leading a group, you see, it's not just about you. It's about everyone who's working with you. They're working with you because some way or, or another, you show and give to them something that they want. Not just money, not just security, but a purpose in their life that they can achieve through their business. And the more that that purpose is embodied by you and demonstrated by you and made present for them through your leadership, the more that they'll be committed to the company or to the endeavor, and the more that they'll give the best of themselves to that endeavor. So this is, and this is of course, all found in Aquinas. He goes back here, this is question 11, 11 of his first part of the second part in the Summa, which is a big thing to say, I know, but that's the citation for you. And, and he speaks about it in terms of the power that a human being has to enjoy something. Okay, now that might strike us as odd. Like how could, is enjoyment uh, the key to leadership? You would think that, that the key to leadership is driving people forward or having a vision for things. No, no, no. The real source of passion that's behind a, the motivation of a leader is found in the heart of the leader and the leader's ability to enjoy the vision of the end goal. Now, that's because the, the word to enjoy has a lot of depth to it. It actually comes from, in the Latin, the word for enjoyment is fruitio. F-R-U-I-T-I-O, fruitio, like the word fruit. And it's a gerund that literally comes from the word fruit itself, right? As if like, this is what you do with a fruit, Okay, when you have a, so it's that a fruit is what? According to Aquinas, in the first article, he says, well, a fruit is what comes at the end of a tree's life, right? Or at the end of a season, if you think of it that way. A tree produces fruit. And when it produces fruit, it has reached its maturity. And it produces good fruit. Like that's the last thing that a tree does, right? So at the end goal of something, the end of something's life, you have this sweet product that comes and enjoyment is your ability to take that sweet product and to bite into it. I mean, really, it's that you're, when you're with Latin, you're, you're talking about something that's really foundational. And the imagery of the verb of what you do with fruit, right? What do you do with the fruit? I mean, you take a big juicy peach that's all warm in the sun and you bite into it, right? And its sugars go into your mouth and drip down your face and you and the peach are one. Right? In Article 3, he'll actually say that. He'll say a, fruitful, a fruit always has something that makes the will stop, like the desire stops. I'm thinking, for example, if you go to a fine restaurant and, and you have a great dessert at the end of a meal, and, and it's just amazing because you, your taste buds open up and you say, this is the greatest piece of pie I've ever had. And you exclaim and enjoy that piece of pie, right? It's like suddenly you don't worry about calories anymore. You don't worry about what's going to happen the next morning or at two in the morning from indigestion. You know, you just let it all go and you and that pie become one and you celebrate the goodness that's in that pie or in that sun-drenched peach or, or, I mean, no one fasts on their wedding day, right? Like you, you celebrate and you enjoy the champagne and you enjoy the music and you enjoy, you enjoy things. Well, that's a real quality. And, and Aquinas says that that quality is a key for a leader, 
Because what the leader is demonstrating by that quality is their ability to say that there is an end goal to what is happening, that that end goal is good, and that that end goal is for us. Okay, three things that are just key to have in your mind at all times. If I'm trying to move people to follow me, I need to be able to show them that the, the goal to achieve, that that goal is a good goal, that it's worth it, and that it's something that they can actually have and possess. So a lot of times in business, of course, what we do is we just only offer bonuses. Well, I mean, it's very effective to offer bonuses. <laughs> I mean, there's more to life than that. But at the same time, that's a very effective way to motivate people. If we work hard, there will be a bonus that you will be able to enjoy, right? Keeping the promises that you make in a way that, that helps the people who are working for you to taste the fruits of their labors. I mean, it might not always be bonuses. There are other techniques as well, but you, you get the point of this, okay? And I think about this in your family life. It's the same thing. I mean, these kids that you have, you're pushing them, they're going on, they're doing their chores, they're doing their schoolwork, they're going through the grind of their daily life. Every once in a while, you just need to stop and you need to say, and this is why we're doing it. You gotta let those who work in the field enjoy the fruits of their labors, at least from time to time. And the more that you can embody that enjoyment yourself and pass it on and share it, well, the, the more that you're gonna have buy-in from your people. And so what is it that's at the heart and root of this enjoyment? How, what, how do I do it? How do I build it up? And, and what is, how does this link with my spirituality? Well, Aquinas goes on further to tell us all this. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. All right, so there's a real question that all of us just need to kind of examine in ourselves. If people have a hard time following us, can you blame them? Okay. And I mean, look at this from your point of view with your spouses, right? And whether or not they respect you and whether or not they, they love you. That's why, you know, but like, are your kids happy to be in the household? Can you blame them? If you go to work, same thing. What is it that makes someone attractive to other people? And why would they want to follow you? It's because deep in the heart of a great leader, there's a certitude that where they're taking their people is worth going to. And there's an ability, maybe in the twinkle of their eye, to, to the words that they use to convey to their people that the view is worth the climb, right? But to have that, there needs to be deep inside of your own heart a type of rest, a type of, in other words, like what I'm doing this for at the end of all of my efforts is somehow present deep down inside of my heart now. Okay, so like, in other words, I have to embody the victory that we have not yet achieved. Now I want you to think about that because this is really, this is really critical. I mean, Aquinas will end up saying that you can have an imperfect enjoyment of something by saying that even though I don't yet possess it fully, I possess it by my intention. I mean, think about what George Washington felt when he led his troops out on that Christmas Day uh, attack against the Hushtons that turned the Revolutionary War on its head from defeat into victory. And this first victory of the American forces in the American Revolution. I mean, think of how did he do it? 
Well, on that day, he said, we're going to attack. Well, why would you attack on that day? Every, all the reasons are against you. Ah, because, you see, he had a sense of victory deep in his heart. And he let that victory lead him into battle. This is why over-analysis and negative thinking and pessimism just is not a great leadership technique. You might have, a, there's a role for all of that, of course, but that's not what's going to bring people into action. People will act for things that they are convinced they can achieve. How well are you communicating their ability to be victorious to them? It's, again, it's one thing to sit there and be able to point out how everything could go wrong, but that's not the key to motivation, and it's not the key to getting things started. First, you have to say, I don't have the end goal in my hand, but I have it in my heart, right? So, and people might think you're a dreamer. They might say that you don't have any power, but you will gain followers by your ability to speak to them of the great things that you're convinced yourself that you're going to accomplish, and, and that being enamored with the dream, being enamored with the end goal. Now, obviously, there's much more to being an effective leader than that, okay? You got to put it into a full, you know, realistic perspective of analysis and planning and all these other things. But Aquinas is really touching something here. He says, if you don't have that love for the end goal at the beginning, you will never even try to get there. And how you communicate that love to the people who you're asking to get there with you is by showing that love and that passion. Well, to do that, you've got to first take, be able to take a rest in the end goal that you do not yet possess, right? And that's called enjoyment. I might not have the thing finally in my possession, ah, but I can already taste it. Right? Is that, the more that you're able to do that, right? The, the more you're able to cast that vision, the more you're going to speak to the hearts of people underneath you. Now, where does this tie into your Christian faith? It ties into it at a deep level. Christianity is a religion of hope. And that means it's a religion that says, I have an end goal, not in my hand, but in my heart. And I know that heaven exists and that God exists and that one day I'll stand in front of my Savior right? It's not now. I don't see it now. I don't taste it now. Now I might have all kinds of problems that are around me, all kinds of medical conditions, all kinds of situations that cause me anxiety. And yet I will face them and I will overcome them because the God who is fighting for me is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I'm going to go and see him one day face to face. You see, so like, in other words, the victory in Christianity causes the war. <laughs> a Christian engages themselves in activity because they know that there will be a place of rest at the end of it. And you can say, how do you know? How can you guarantee it? And we just point to God. And we say, I can guarantee it thanks to God. God has made me a promise. God does not lie. God cannot lie. And God sealed that promise in the blood of his only begotten son. Therefore, I'm going to act in hope. Do you have absolute certitude? Well, no. But you have faith. You have trust in God, trust in Jesus, you see. And so, I mean, for a Christian, therefore, to start a business, well, it should be a natural thing. For a Christian to start to rebuild a society, and it should be a natural thing. For a Christian mom to start her own homeschool for the kids, you know, and the, it should be a natural thing. I mean, why, why can't I achieve things? And when you look at what Christianity has given to the world, I remind you that the first man on the moon was a Christian. 
and came from a very Christian, actually a very Catholic uh, area of the country. He himself was not Catholic, but he was Christian and his family was Christian. I mean, the motto of the state of Ohio, for example, that gave birth not only to the first airplane, but to the first man on the moon is with God, all things are possible. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a, <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty victorious statement. With God, all things are possible. I mean, wow. So then why wouldn't we try? And exactly. And Ohioans have been trying and have tried and have succeeded, as have many other people. But the level of accomplishment, drive, inspiration that's come from the Christian West well, has moved our whole world forward in a good way. And I'm saying that it has its roots deep in this philosophy. And that's also why Christians ha should have a distinct way of leading. And it's a way of leading that allows us to hope in things, hope for the good to come, as if it was something that it was certain and something that we could, could enjoy ourselves and share together. And so I go back to that question. If people are not following you, can you blame them? Ask yourself, am I, sh am, I, am I showing them a pathway forward to a good that we can share? Or do they just see it as my good? I mean, what am I doing in my act actions and my words, what I'm doing, that maybe would isolate them from believing that, they, that, that what we're accomplishing together is for their good? I mean, you can think about the way sometimes that business owners can, can talk about their fourth house or, or demonstrate their flashy clothes while their workers themselves are not making that much money. I don't think it's bad to have a flashy clothes in a fourth house, but I, I am saying that you, you need to be careful that you're going to demotivate your people if you're actually showing them how all that they're doing for a small pay is benefiting you in a big way. It might be true, but you might not need to show it. And I also recall that as a Christian, anyway, you need to be making sure that your, your wages are good and substantial for your people, right? So that the business that they're working for is something that benefits them. This is what's behind a great business structure called an ESOP. E-S-O-P, it stands for Employee Stock Ownership Plan. And it basically makes all of the employees owners of the business. Well, again, that, that, that's why the Catholic Church gets all excited about this, as it's a great way to do it. Okay? Because it motivates people. I'm, I'm sharing it. I'm going to touch that. But I also think it's where our own faith in God comes in. Because if, if, we're, if we ourselves are in our workplaces, acting like we're there because God sent us, we're going to be sharing a deeper purpose that everyone can touch. And that is that we should be enjoying our work. That power for me to rest in the end and to take pleasure in the goodness of the end goal can already be demonstrated and enjoyed in the working process itself by a Christian. I'm not just doing this for the paycheck and I'm making sure that when you're here, the paycheck isn't your only consolation. You know, we should enjoy our workplaces. We should enjoy our relationships with our colleagues. We should enjoy our work. And a Christian leader needs to typify and show that because when we enjoy our work, it shows us that we're already resting in the end goal for which we are working, which is, of course, to give glory to God and to, to give our gifts back to Him in their fullness. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.